Okay, I'm glad you're here. Uh, let me just uh, start off with a story. Um, so, I I got uh, an invitation to a um, to a to a party to a, a celebration, and um, uh, I di I didn't really know the person that well, uh, but I just um, you know I like him a lot over the years, but I. I we don't know each other all that well, but I, I wanted to go to just sort of attend his, 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 his celebration and to, you know, give him covet, as we say, you know, to, to honor him and his family and, the, and just to celebrate the happy occasion with him. And, and so I, I, I show up at this place and I'm, I'm standing behind him waiting sort of my turn to kind of, you know, just sort of like, you know, greet, greet, greet the host. And uh, I see his, his back is to me as... And, and I'm just kind of waiting for him to turn around. I see the person right in front of him facing him, gives him this giant bear hug. And, uh, and then, you know, they talk a tiny bit. And then he turns to me and he, he leans in for a hug. And I stick out my hand to shake his hand. And I, I just, it was just a very strange, it was a very strange moment because it was sort of like, you know, I, I was here because I wanted to show my affection for him and yet somehow somehow the moment to sort of like kind of like give him this hug I, I, I reached out my hand and shook his hand instead and I, I didn't you know it was just I, I just kind of like wondered like what, what, what just happened and we, we talked and you know I congratulated him and all the rest anyway o over the course of the evening my, my, my wife had, had been involved in a in an an awkward hug situation, which has a completely different story to it, which has its own kind of backstory to. But I won't go into that. But she, she, she was she was talking to me about that, and she was talking about this. You know, a couple of times she brought it up, and then she came home, and she, because it was relevant information to. So she she was talking about this hug, and so I kept on. I didn't say anything about my 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 uh, <laughs> situation, but I kept on thinking about my thing, and I was like, like why didn't why didn't you hug him? Why didn't you, why, why, why didn't you do that? So, so then the next morning, the next morning, I, I get up kind of pretty early in the morning. It's still at this time of the year. It's still dark out when I'm when I'm getting up to to go to Minion, and I'm putting on my shoes in the dark. And uh, as I'm putting them on, I I, I hear oi, and that's coming out of me. And I'm like, and I thought I was like sort of like shocked. I was like, why are you? Where, where did that come from? And then I thought, because I didn't give this guy a hug. You know, it was, it was bothering me. It was honestly bothering me. So I go to, uh, I go to, go to Davin, and uh, see, it's the 6 a.m. minion, so it's, it's pretty early, and um, it's in this building where it's, this, the particular area where we go is all the way up on something that's, I don't know, it's the second or the third floor, it's tucked away in the corner. You wouldn't, it's not the main place where people go, it's not the main sanctuary, so to speak. So if you walk in, you wouldn't, you wouldn't stumble on that area. You would go to the main place, you wouldn't go to that area. In fact, you might not be able to find that area, it's really tucked away. Anyway, so it's, so we're finishing up. Again, the minion started at, at 6 a.m. It's about 10 to 7 right now. There's maybe two or three people left in the room. And I'm just finishing up. And now this guy, this guy whose party it was, lives on the other side of the city. He lives on the other side of the city in probably a place where there's a higher concentration of shuls there than maybe anywhere in the entire city. So there's no shortage of minions right there on the other side of the city. Ten to seven. I look up for my sitter, and he's standing in front of me. I mean, you have to understand, there's no... It doesn't make any sense. And he, I, I, I said to him, what do you... you no, know, he says to me, I'm thinking, how could this be? He says to me, D do you know, is this where the 7 a.m. Minion Dobbins? And it's like, no. <laughs> this is like, you're, you're in the, it's on the other side of the building, of this building. Like, like it, right? Like, normally, well, anyway, so, and then I realize he's here to be hugged. 
This is this is this miraculous choreography, which is just unfolded. Which there's, you know. And but it was kind of funny because he was standing right in front of a table. So for me to sort of like <laughs> squeeze in would have been ultra awkward. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I kind of grabbed him from behind and just kind of gave him a a hug that way, and you know just. You know, just blessed him again, you know, and uh, but it's you know as I was walking to my car afterwards, I, I, I remembered a Hasidic story that I heard from Reb Shlomo. I don't remember any of the names. I don't even remember who's the Rebbe in the story. Whether it was the young child or was it the father, I don't. I don't really remember any of the details. But I remember the story. The story goes like this: that the the father was. There was no food in the house, zero food, nothing. And the child's very hungry. And the child, you know, says to the father, you know, I'm, I'm hungry. And the father doesn't know what to say, doesn't, doesn't know what to do. There's no food. And then the child hands the father a piece of gold. And the father says, where did you, where did you get that? And he says, it was, it was underneath the dining room table. And the father thinks and he says, you must have been really hungry. It's the end of the story. In other words, in other words, for this kind of miraculous thing to have happened, obviously there was a necessity for it. So I was thinking, I must have really wanted to hug that guy, right? <laughs> right? Because there was, there, how he was there, you know, at that early hour in the morning when there was no limit to the number of places he could have gone right next to his house. He told me, I asked him, I said, you know, what are you doing here eventually? He, he said, oh, you know, I'm going to the airport. Okay, there's always going to be a, a logical here and now explanation for something. But never saw him there before. Over years and years and years and years and years. So, you know, we were talking about events like this. And... I think that, I just want to go into this a little bit further. I, I had mentioned a story and, and sort of had a breakthrough on the spot when I, when I was sharing this with you guys a few weeks ago. I'll tell it again. It's an, it's an old joke. It's an old joke, but I think that there's, a, there, there's an important um, truism in there. So let me just review the thing. So it's, you know, you've got a guy who's driving around in Manhattan. He's got an important business meeting. And anyone who's tried to park a car in Manhattan knows that that can take a long time, right? And if you've got a pressing business meeting and you're trying to find a parking space, that can be a very, you know, dangerous cocktail, so to speak. I mean, it's like, you know, you, 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 just, might, you just might miss it. So he's all stressed out and he's, he's talking to God and he's, he's saying, God, if you give me a parking space, I'm going to start keeping Shabbos. I, I, I'll start keeping kosher. And then all of a sudden, a parking space opens up and he goes, never mind, God, I found a spot. <laughs> right? So, so there's something there's something funny about that. I mean, there, it's it's a deep joke, though. Believe me, this is it's deep. It's deep. And and I was thinking about it, and 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 you know, you could approach it from different ways of understanding this. This, but I, I want to approach it from this particular way. The I think the the sort of like the in, instinctive sort of go-to kind of immediate reaction is the guy's not religious. You know what I mean? But if you think about it, this guy is very religious. Because here he is in his car. He obviously believes in God. He's talking to God in the moment. Not only does he believe in God and he's talking to God, but he believes that God controls absolutely everything in the world, including when parking spaces become available. So this is actually an exceedingly religious personality that we're dealing with. And yet, and yet, when his prayer gets answered... On the spot immediately, he, it's like his brain short circuits. He, ha, he has no way of absorbing that. And I realize, what's, what dynamic is in place there? Here is a person who doesn't know how to receive. And so, being able to receive, like, like, like if you pray and a prayer is answered, that, that's a full transaction, or that's the receiving is the consummation, if you will, and I mean that in the fullest sense, is the consummation of the relationship that you have with God. 
that moment to be able to receive. If a person can't receive, if they're just praying, 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 and then, yeah, some of the good stuff's happening, some bad stuff's happening, whatever it is, whatever it is, I'm going to kind of keep on going on my path, then that's, that's a very lopsided or one-sided or really, like, not actually not great relationship, right? Like, can you imagine, like, you bring home flowers, right, to your loved one, and your loved one says, um, put them over there, and never puts them in a vase? So you're, you're receiving these flowers, and somehow they're kind of off to the side, dying on the counter. So being able to receive is that moment where you go, wow, you, you really heard me. You really are that close. You really care. You're really involved in my life, right? <coughs> but in order to be able to do that, a person, even this person, because let's go back to our example, this person who believes in God, who talks to God when, while he's driving in his car. This is a high level already. Who believes that God controls everything, including parking spaces, and yet can't absorb when his prayer gets answered. So, so we have a phrase that, that, um, that this phrase is, is, is usually considered like the, the highest level of um, sincerity in terms of your heavenly service. It's called being L'Shem Shemayim, right? So L'Shem Shemayim, would, we would translate that as that you do actions for the sake of heaven, right? So, so the Kutzke Rebbe said something very, very, very amazing. He said that, you know what? All of you, now remember, like for a person, usually if they do something L'Shem Shemayim, they really stretch themselves to their fullest at that point, that point right? So listen to what the Katsukarebi says, something very brilliant. He says that Alavai, like it, it should it should only be that your Lashem Shemayams should be Lashem Shemayim. That, that, that those things that that category that you that where you say that, oh, I did that totally without any ulterior motive whatsoever, it was only for the sake of heaven. That, that, that those actions should actually be for the sake of heaven. <clears throat> or to loosely paraphrase it, that when you're at your most sincere, you should actually be sincere. <laughs> you see, what that requires is continually stretching and expanding your kalim, basically. Your, a kli is a vessel. But as you grow and as you become more aware of God's omnipresence, you have to, on an ongoing basis, expand your kalim, your, your, your vessels, to stretch them to be able to keep up with your higher level of awareness so that you can integrate the actual reality in accordance to your progressing understanding. I, I, I hope that that was clear. Um, I, I'm going to try to explain it some more. Let's go to a, um, a famous Gomorrah, classic Gomorrah. So in, in this Gomorrah, you know, by the way, there, there was w one way, there were probably many ways, but there was one way that sort of like people knew who the superstars were back in ancient times in terms of prayer, in terms of holiness. And, and you know, in the, in the Middle East, rain is, is, is a life and death thing. Like if there's not rain, the community starts fasting and it's, it's a big deal because if there's no rain, there's no crops. If there's no crops, there's no food, then people die. So it's, it's, it's life and death if it doesn't rain. So, so there were certain rabbis, and the, 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 the Talmud chronicles events like this, where it would be like sort of like, we need rain. 
and certain holy rabbis would come out and they would pray for rain and at that moment it would rain. So if you think about it, that was really like, you know, and then those people were like, oh wow, okay, well, clearly this person is super holy and is beloved by God in such a way that, that God is like answering his prayer on the spot and that's what it is. Haninia Bendosa was one of these people. Okay? He was really one of the greats. He was one of the greats. When he prayed for rain, it, it would rain. And then he, it would rain in, in accordance to the way like he would go, no, God, like a, no, a little stronger than that, please. No, 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 not that strong, not that strong. A little softer than that. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And these were, these were publicly observed events that were recorded. Um... You know, in modern times, they have they have they have they have recorded events that were witnessed by people by like this from the Baba Sali. They, you know, public events that were witnessed that were recorded. So this this to this day, you know. But anyway, um, so the famous story is that Hanina Bendosa was was you know very poor. And from here you see that, you know, sometimes we tend to think that if, if, if all of your prayers are answered or if you're holy, then there's a direct correlation between that and having, like, tremendous wealth. It's not the case. Every single person has their own needs, and God knows what their needs are, and God knows what their future needs are, and whatever it is. So, so just keep that in mind. Anyway, they didn't have any oil in the house. I guess oil <coughs> was not cheap in order to light the Shabbos candles. And Haninia Bendosa's wife, who was also super holy, was like basically heartbroken. Like Shabbos is coming, and I don't have any, I don't have any oil to light the candles. You know, it was it was it was breaking her heart. And so, Haninia Bendosa says to her, "The one who makes oil light can also make vinegar light." In other words, what what is the problem? God can do absolutely anything. So, so she takes out vinegar instead, and she lights the vinegar, and she has Shabbos candles off the vinegar. So one of the, one of the explanations of this story is that, is that if you understand that absolutely everything in the world is a complete miracle, then there are no bars for God making miracles. Because if you believe that actually everything is a miracle, but you really believe it, it's not just something you say or whatever, it's a thought that you had. If you actually believe that every single moment is independently and totally miraculous, by the way, which it is, which it is, because as, as I heard in the name of the Rambam explains, that what is nature, like all the laws of nature, those are just miracles that we've grown used to. Right? We're just like... Oh, the sun rose and it set? I'm tired of that, God. What else you got? You know, give me... I'm ready for an eclipse. But now, yeah, okay, I saw an eclipse. Give me, like, a super eclipse. Like, you know, like, I want to see a planet explode and then reassemble. That would be cool. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, it's like... It's like... But, but every single moment actually is a miracle. And then if you understand that, then that's the new nature. And then God, by bringing miracles is not violating the laws of nature anymore, which are his laws anyway. Okay. So, if you live like that, and many people will tell you absolutely to live like that, then, but there's a problem with, with that. You see, I'm, I'm going back to this hug, by the way. We're still discussing the hug. <laughs> so in case you lost track. We're still discussing the ability to receive these moments, Right? So if you believe that everything is a miracle, then why shouldn't he be standing there? Of course he should be standing there, right? <clears throat> On the other hand, though, there has to be another dynamic, and this was sort of my breakthrough in understanding this stuff, and now I have to live it and integrate it, which is <laughs> very challenging. But, but the, the other reality is that, no, you have to, yes, everything is a miracle. Yes, it's not surprising at all. And yes, you have to constantly blow your mind over it. <laughs> and, 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 and that's what keeps it new, and that's what keeps it fresh. So, so, so all, the, all these things have to go together, and then you can receive. 
because then you're stretching your 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 your, your you see because you can say well God is everywhere but this guy who wants looking for the parking space he says God is everywhere and controls parking spots and then he gets a parking spot and he can't he goes never mind God I found one <laughs> he didn't have the kalim he didn't have the vessels to absorb that moment of relationship because as much as he said a moment ago or implied a moment ago that God you control all things in terms of parking spaces but his L'shem Shemayim was in L'shem Shemayim in other words this intellectual thought that he had which is that God can control everything including parking spaces that wasn't fully integrated into him because when he got it he wasn't able to receive it which means again our our ability to integrate these ideas has to catch up. In other words, let me, let me put it in a very, very simple way. Our hearts have to catch up with our minds. Our hearts have to catch up with our minds. Because if these things just stay in the mind, then when we experience them in real life, it's like it's the flowers that never got put into the water. Because the, the, because the mind and the heart, there's such a barrier between the mind and the heart that the heart doesn't receive it, and then the relationship moment with, with you and God, or you and whoever it is, never gets fully consummated. <clears throat> so, what is the great expander? What is the great expander? And the answer is joy. That, that's, that's, that's what does it. That is the great expander of of consciousness, right? This is why the Hasidim and really everyone, why just the Torah itself, puts such an emphasis on joy and happiness, right? Because when a person is in a place of joy, like I, I once heard um, Rabbi Kramer, the head of the Breslov Institute, put it this way, and I, I thought it was just such a beautiful, simple way of, of explaining a, a very big idea of expanded uh, uh, expanded consciousness. He says, imagine you have, a person has an enemy. Oh, I hate that guy. I hate that guy, right? Now imagine he has, this same guy has one daughter, and this daughter is getting married, and he's at the wedding of his daughter. He's so happy. He's so thrilled. And this guy walks in. He'd be like, sit down! <laughs> See, because his He's, his mind is completely expanded through the joy of the event. It's like the last thing he's worrying about is like that this guy, you know, said whatever to me five years ago, whatever. It's like there's no space for that. Right? It gets, as the mind expands, all the pettiness gets pushed to the side. So the great month of joy, the great month of joy, in the in the in the Torah calendar is Adar, which is we're days we're about to enter into Adar now. This is very great. Now these are the days where we just read. Um, um, it was just Parsha Shkalim, where you would every single person would give half a shekel, and this was a way of um, funding the communal offerings in the Holy Temple for all of Israel. So everyone basically pitched in. And what's so interesting about this, there's a, many, many, many levels to this, but, but just very simply, one of the beautiful things was, if you were rich, you couldn't give more, and if you were poor, you couldn't give less. Right? You just had to be kind of, it was just about, it's just you, it's real. Just you, and you're half a shekel, and why half a shekel? Because a full shekel makes a lot more sense. Why half a shekel? So that's deep. But basically to understand that you're one half and the community is the other half. Or if you want to go deeper, you're half and God is the other half. Right? So in other words, and this is tied to the month of Adar. And I just was thinking about this to put these two things together is that what you see by half a shekel, if you think of yourself as half a shekel, why is that related to Adar, which is joy? Why, why is it joy to think of yourself as incomplete without, without the community, incomplete without your relationship with God? Why does that lead to joy? 
because wired into that construct is transcendence of self. You get out of yourself. Because if you think of yourself as the entire construct, all of your thoughts go inward. And that's just the recipe for making yourself miserable. But if you understand that you're only half, and that your other half actually exists outside you, and it's around you, and it's above you, and it surrounds you, and it's the entire universe, then you've got this constant door open to exit this misery of constant self-consciousness. Right? Because you, can, you, you realize that, no, this, this whole aspect, all of this is, is, again, just transcendence, transcendence of self. This is the secret. This is the secret. And the best way to get to transcend, how do, you, how do you get to this place? Through joy. Through joy. And it gives you joy to get to this place. So it's mutually reinforcing. So if you want a reason to be happy, I'll give you a reason to be happy. <laughs> By the way, Rabbi Shlomo says a person doesn't need a reason to be happy. That in itself is very deep. I often tell myself that, you know? Like I, sometimes I say to myself, like, okay, why should I be happy? And then I remember, I hear my Rebbe's words. A person doesn't need a reason to be happy. <laughs> and then that makes me happy. <laughs> but it's also very true and very deep. Okay, so, so but I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you some good news. Though. So, there are, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use my own terminology right now, but this is from the Chidush I'm going to introduce the thought. We'll get to it in a moment. There are certain what I would call jet streams within the calendar. Okay? So what's an example of, of, of one of the jet streams? So one of the jet streams would be going from Elul to, say, Yom Kippur. Right? Or if you want to extend it, you can t- say to Shmini Atzeris. Right, that's one jet stream. What's another jet stream? Another jet stream would be from the 17th of Tammuz to Tisha B'Av. That's another jet stream. Okay. What's another jet stream? From Pesach to Shavuos. Right. That, that's a, that's another jet stream. Okay. So now the Chidush Rim opened my eyes to another jet stream that I wasn't aware of in the Torah, which is very relevant for us right now. What, what is this pattern within the Torah? So we have to introduce it. You just have to pay a little attention right now. It's not a difficult idea, but you have to concentrate for a moment. Tu Bishvat, Tu Bishvat, that's the new year for trees. Tu Bishvat is where the fruit on the trees begins to blossom. Okay? So listen carefully, and he's learning this from the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah. If a tree blossoms before Tu Bishvat, it is being nourished. It was nourished from rain, bless you, it was nourished from rain that fell before Tishrei. Bless you. It was nourished from rain that fell before Tishrei. Okay, did everyone get that? If a tree blossoms before the time of normal blossoming, it's because it's getting rain that fell before the new year started. Okay? In Tishrei. That, that's the idea. However, if a tree blossoms on Tubishvad, or begins its blossoming on Tubishvad, it is being nourished from rain that fell from the beginning of this present year, from this Tishrei. Okay? So, so, so what the Chedusha Rim says based on this Gemara, very, very interesting, is that all of the Shefa, that means blessing. All the Shefa that came down, this Rosh Hashanah, this Yom Kippur, this Sukkot, the Shemini Aseris, right? That whole period of intense davening that we go through, all the holidays, all the blessing that came down right there has been operating in the world in a hidden fashion up until now. And now it reaches a revealed state at the time of Tu Bishvat, which is the blossoming of trees, where fruit starts to ripen on the branch, which is the revelation of blessing. Amen. So now you're starting to see 
the revelation of the blessings that came down in the beginning of the year, in Tishrei and Roshani Yom Kippur. Did everyone hear that? So now you're hearing about another jet stream. You're hearing about the jet stream from Tishrei to Tubishva, right? Where blessing goes from a hidden place working in the world into a revealed place. Very, very interesting. So, so he goes on to say, and this is this is this is another thought, but I'm sure it's I'm sure it's connected in some way, but this is another thought, but it's also very striking, which is that, you know, if you, if you, there's 12 months in the year. If you kind of split them up into two columns of six, you see a lot of interesting correlations. One of the correlations would be if you would line up, um, if you line up Tishrei and Nisan. See, T- Tishrei and Nisan are both kind of new years. We, we celebrate Rosh Hashanah, which is the new calendar year, the new year of years, if you will, in Tishrei. But you want to hear something kind of funny? Tishrei is actually the seventh month of the year, which is, which is like so Jewish that we celebrate the new year of years in the middle of the year. <laughs> because Nisan is actually when we got commanded to make a calendar, and it's actually the first month of the year. Right? So I wanted to say one time that sometimes when you get to the middle, right, you get to the middle of your life or you get to the middle of the product project, you start to run out of gas sometimes. That's where you need to sort of like reinvigorate yourself with newness, right? So it makes sense that the new year energy actually comes in the middle of the year if you think about it like that. But anyway, the first month of the year is actually Nisan. Now there's a debate in the Talmud. When did God actually create the world? And so one opinion is it was in Tishrei. And that's actually when we have all of our New Year's prayers and everything like that. Another opinion is that, no, 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 no. It was actually in Nisan, right? Which is the beginning of the spring. That's the month where Pesach is. So now, the deeper, the deeper, the deeper rabbis explain that actually there were two aspects of creation, the creation of the world. You had one in thought, and one indeed. And the creation in the realm of thought actually happened in Tishrei. Right? So that's sort of like the roots of the roots of creation. And maybe that's why, you know, we're 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 we're, we're davening, making our prayers then. But but in Nisan was actually when the world itself was actually physically created indeed. Okay, interesting. So now, with that in mind, listen to what the that's just an introduction for this thought. Listen to what the Chidush Arim says. He says what Elul is to Tishrei, right, because that's the month of preparation before we get into all these prayers and everything like that. What Elul is to Tishrei, Adar is to Nisan. This is a fascinating thought. It's fascinating. In other words, this month of joy that we're about to enter into right now is actually a preparation for this new year that's coming in terms of the realization of all the blessings, right? And it's also this time, Nisan is a time of, Nisan actually means miracles, right? It's this time of like expansion through joy and we're bringing down all the blessings still, you know, at this point. So, so something to keep in mind as you go through your Adar, if you think of it like an Elul, you know, and and listen to this. This will give you more of a practical way of applying it. He says the Elul Tishrei dynamic is in the realm of Yira, which means fear or awe, right? Whereas the Adar Nisan dynamic is Ava, which is the dynamic of love. So you're bringing out all these same concepts through this perspective of love. So that's uh, that's cool. Okay. So let's just um, let's just wrap it up. Let's just wrap it up. Tell you a uh, a beautiful thought that I heard from Rabbi Karupkin, who's a a great rabbi up in uh, Toronto now, and um, really wonderful. So so he we we were in Parshas Mishpatim, and uh, there you have there you have um, lots and lots and lots of mitzvahs, 
And it's just this mitzvah and that mitzvah and this mitzvah and that mitzvah and this mitzvah. It's one of the largest sort of like, you know, conglomerations of mitzvahs in the, in the whole Torah, this Parsha. And, and some of them seem like not related, like there's one and then there's another one and seemingly coming from a completely different place. So, so a lot of people, a lot of thinkers are trying to explain, what's the, what, 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 why in that order? Why that one and then that one? So here's an example of this type of thinking being applied to two of the mitzvahs. One of them is that if you have, um, you know, we, one of the laws of keeping kosher is if an animal dies on its own, so if you just kind of see a, like a dead carcass by the side of the road, that meat can't be kosher even if it's from a kosher animal. Okay? So that's, that would be called treif, right? That's in the category of something we can eat. And so what do you do with that meat? You, can, you, you, you can't have benefit from it, but you can feed it from, to the dogs, specifically to the dogs. And the rabbis say, well, why to the dogs? Okay, before we get into it too much. So that's the, that's the first mitzvah. It says if you have treif, it's, it's not for you, but you can feed it to the dogs. That's what you should do. Then the next mitzvah is don't speak Lashon Hara. Right? Don't, don't speak, don't use your, this like holy and amazing tool called speech. Don't misuse this tremendous power that you're given, this power of speech. So what is the connection between giving these scraps of meat to a dog and not misusing your speech? Okay, so Rabbi Karupkin gave this explanation. Very, very, very beautiful explanation. He said that, um, that w- why, what is the history? What is the history of why would a, a dog and say not a cat, for instance, be rewarded with this meat, right? So the answer is, there's a verse in the Torah that says that when the Jews left Egypt, not one dog barked. Right? Which is like a very odd detail to throw in. Like, what is, what, why? Now it says in another place that dogs bark, listen to this, very, very interesting, very mystical, really. Dogs bark when, they, when they're in the presence of the angel of death. That just makes them bark, right? So, so the time when we were leaving Egypt, this was the time of the death of the firstborn. Okay, so it would normally be a dog's inclination to bark at this moment, and they didn't bark. Now, Rabbi Karepkin said that he saw someplace else written, somewhere in, 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 in Torah, that when dogs see Eliyahu Hanavi, right, they frolic. They get super happy, right? Now, Eliyahu, of course, is is the one who sort of announces the arrival of, of Mashiach, of the Messiah, right? Eliyahu is this amazing figure in, 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 in Jewish thought, one of the great prophets. And of course we say, to this day, Seder night, Eliyahu comes to every, every home and, uh, and, and visits in that way. Now, that last night, when the dogs weren't barking, that was the night of the first Seder. Right? That was the time where the first Seder was actually still in Egypt. So that was the night that we were leaving. So, so this Geula energy, this redemption energy, this Eliyahu energy, the dogs, now hear it clearly, the dogs had a choice. Here's the angel of death that they normally bark at, or here's Eliyahu, this Eliyahu energy where they normally frolic. Which are they going to choose to focus on? <laughs> So they chose, seemingly, according to this way of learning it, they chose to focus on the positive and not the negative. All right, now, what's the next mitzvah after rewarding the dog for not barking? Don't speak Lashon Hara. What happens when a person speaks Lashon Hara, evil speech about another person, they choose at that moment, they have a choice. Do I want to focus on the negative on that person? Or do I want to focus on the positive? And so that's the connection by telling us not to speak Lashon Hara, like the dog who focused on the positive and received this reward to this day. So, so all of us, all of us have this ongoing, ongoing, ongoing series of moments 
where we can either focus on the positive or focus on the negative. Right? I mean, what I'm about to tell you is, is so simple, but don't be fooled by the simplicity of the words. You can either see life through what you have, or you can see life through what you don't have. And it's your choice. It's your choice. Not why does God still not give me what I want so that I have to view the world through that which I don't have? No! That's, that, that's, that's foolishness. That's foolishness. It's just elevating your own self-victimization. Doesn't mean that we don't have needs and that we don't need to have these needs answered for the good. God should bless us. We should get everything we need. Really, honestly. However, it's our choice whether to see life through what we have or through what we don't have. And and believe me, it's that's a constantly um ongoing it's a constant ongoing process. And just because you remember this is the crazy thing about just the human condition. Just because you remember and you say, oh, you know what, I'm going to choose to see the good, that doesn't mean five minutes from now you're going to remember to choose the good. You may have forgotten about this, this entire talk five minutes after you just applied it. This is the crazy thing about the, the mind, you know? The crazy thing. We're so mired in the materiality of the world. We're so mired in our own physicality. That, that, that this sort of like this beacon of light which can help guide us one moment, all of a sudden, not only is it off the next moment, we don't even remember. What, there's a beacon? What do you mean? No, 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 the beacon that you just used a few moments ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can tell you in my life, there have been moments where I've started to, start to like, I, 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 I feel sort of like the, the gravity of emotions, if you will. Like I'm just kind of being pulled to a dark or unhappy place and sometimes, sometimes I have the wherewithal to think and I'll say to myself, David you're making a choice right now you're making a choice right now is this actually what you want to choose to be doing right now? and what, what that does is it, it, it allows me to step like five steps back and to get a little bit of perspective on what's unfolding in front of me and to reassert control over my own emotions and then you think, well, what, well, why shouldn't I be miserable right now? Okay, well, here's, here's a few happy things. You go, okay. Let me, let me, let me, let me make a, a, a better choice. Okay. So, see, all of these things, and I can't really stress this enough. I can't stress this enough. All of these things have to be applied and reapplied and reapplied. It's no, the mind, the mind is no different from a gym in this respect, right? If you can pick up, I don't know, you can bench press your weight, right? That's a standard of something. So I'm told. (laughs) You know, if you don't go to the gym for five years and then you go back in, you can't bench press your weight. You can't. In other words, the ability to do something is contingent on doing it again and again and again and again. And then just like there's something called muscle memory, there's something you can habitualize thought in a positive way, where your mind starts to go to that positive place. But this takes daily, daily, daily work, where you have to kind of like carve that neuropathway. And then once that neuropathway exists, see, because otherwise, you know, you, 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 you do a few shovels full, and then when you come back, the, the wind has blown it all back in, or just more dirt has slid down to cover whatever progress you've made. But over time, I promise you it works. Over time, I promise you it works. I promise you it works. You know, they, they have, I'll give you a negative example, but I'm, usually, I'm using this to um, illustrate a positive point. I've seen this in the New York Times several times, where they've taken 
I don't know what the technical term is. Maybe it's CAT scans or MRIs. I, I have no idea. But they've photographed the mind of drug addicts. And they've shown that drug addicts basically neurologically rearrange their, their way of thinking. You know, in other words, the, the way that they've habituated themselves is reflected in the neuropathways. But that can be changed for the positive. That can be changed. Once, once, once they get over their, their addiction, it changes back. Because the, 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 the brain, the soul, whatever it is, it's alive. It's, 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 a di- it's dynamic. Right? So you can carve it out for the good. Okay. Let me... You know... Rabbi Wolfson says something, said something, again, it's so simple, but it's so profound. He says how a person has to renew their faith every single day. And he, he compared it to going up to someone and, and asking them, did you eat breakfast? And they go, no, 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 I ate breakfast yesterday. Like, what, how does, how is that a relevant fact? <laughs> today is today. You eat breakfast every day, or you don't eat breakfast, but it's a, it's a day-to-day thing. The fact that you ate breakfast yesterday has nothing to do with, with today's situation. So, so a lot of people think, okay, no, 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 I, 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 I had faith at one point. You never had, faith is not something that you can hold on to. It's this fleeting thing that has to be constantly generated and regenerated. People think that faith is some sort of like asset that, okay, I have faith, now I can move on to other things. It's not something you can put in your closet. It's something that has to be constantly generated. And that's the same thing with this type of thinking. Right? Okay. And these are life-saving things, by the way. Don't think that these are just things that... the Tools for getting me in a slightly better mood. This is life and death that I'm talking about. I just want you to know that. Um, so, so, so let me just conclude just, just with a completely, completely different thought, but I think it's just kind of a cool idea. Um, I've been sort of um, talking with this physicist lately, who's really a, one of the, one, just a, one of the world authorities and all that good stuff. And um, and you know, one of the things that we do um, in, in terms of Jewish thought, especially Kabbalistic thought, is um, you know just talk about essentially the structure of the universe. Right? We want our, our map of the universe, basically. And um, and physicists are doing the same thing. You know, Einstein made you know tremendous breakthroughs in terms of the curvature of space and just describing the shape of the universe and things like this. So along comes um, string theory, which was you know is several decades old and was a huge advance in in in, in physics. And string theory is is mapping out the shape of the universe. And and listen to this. Of all the numbers, of all the numbers to arrive at, they arrived at the idea in string theory, which captivated the whole world of science, that there were 26 dimensions. Now that's, I mean, I'm not a mathematician, but I don't think that just, it's just sort of like an intuitive number just to gravitate toward 26 mathematically, right? 26, of course, you all know, is... God's holiest name, Yud Kei Vav Kei, is, is the, numer- numerically, it's 26. Amazing thing, because we say that God essentially, you know, the whole world exists within Hashem, right? So, God with this name created the world, you know? This is, this is, this is an amazing correlation, that there are 26 dimensions according to string theory, and that's the Yud Kei Vav Kei. He says, but wait a second. They dug down, the string theorists dug down in terms of the math, and they refined it further. And they came up with what's now called superstring theory, which was a more refined presentation of this, of this thing. And they said, you know something? No, no, no. There's actually 10 dimensions. <laughs> now, of course, what do... You know, n- normally... N- normally, we wouldn't describe Kabbalists as, as 
theoretical physicists or quantum physicists, but in a way they were. In a way they were, because they were dealing with the same questions as, as physics deals with, which is, how did nothing become something? All, all the discussions about the Big Bang are all trying to answer this question, which is the Kabbalistic question. How did nothing become something? Right? Nothing being, being the world before it was created. Materiality itself before it was created. So we're, we're actually asking the same questions, but just taking them from two different points of view. And now, when, we, when you ask a, someone from a Kabbalistic perspective, like, what is the actual shape of the universe, right? They'll tell you the ten sphera. So, so the idea that superstring theory says that there's ten dimensions, and when we're thinking actually of the description of the universe, we say ten sphera, that's an amazing correlation. But now listen to this. Then the mathematicians, the, the, the physicists, drilled down further into the math and wanted to, to refine it further, superstring theory, and they came up with what's now called M-theory. M like mirror, okay? And, uh, or let's say Mordechai. <laughs> so, <laughs> and M-theory says, no, 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 no. There's 11 dimensions. Now, <laughs> what's so interesting about that is is that really among, among the Kabbalists, it's really a question, are there 10 spherot or are there 11 spherot? <laughs> because if the top three are Chachma, Bina, and Das, then you have Keter. So Keter means crown. Keter goes above. So in some versions, Keter is the top of the 10. But in other versions, Keter is actually on top of Chachma, which makes it the 11th. And, and basically, what, what this is a debate, to the extent that I understand it, is what is the least material moment of creation? In other words, that segue from the infinite to the just beginnings, 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 faintest hints of materiality, when, when does that gateway moment happen? Is it through the top of the 10th sphere, or is, this, or is this this extra little gateway region, which we'll call Keter? where it happens through. Okay? But either way, you see that there's this exact correlation between 26, 10, or 11. So, you know, my mind just, uh, my mind just, well, I'll tell you one more thing. If you've been listening to these talks, you know one of the things that I kind of circle back to from time to time is, I'll give you the full presentation of it, it'll take a minute, which is, let's, let's go with Darwin for a moment, okay? Let's say everything Darwin says is right, and, and all of life started from a single cell. So my question is, where did that cell come from, and where did the fabric of time and space to support that cell come from? Right? That, that's my question. And now let's go back further. Let's go back to the Big Bang. You know, at least in one version of the Big Bang, you've got this one point of materiality, and then it, it sort of explodes into the universe. Okay? Well, my question is, where did that one point of materiality come from? Or where did the energy come from? However you want to express it, where did the energy come from, which sort of like blossoms and explodes into the universe? Where did that come from? So everything points to an initial cause, a cause behind the cause, an ultimate cause, which is God. At least in, 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 in our way of understanding. So, so, so this, this physicist said, um, you know, and now, now what, what, what struck me about this is, I've been saying that for years, he just start talking about this independently. I, I didn't prompt him at all, and, and I'm sure he's never heard me say that other thing. Okay? So here's what he said. He said, you know, someone asked him, how does, how does something come out of nothing? <laughs> and he said, he was very struck by that. He said, oh, you know, that's deep, that's deep. He said, 
he said, you know, when we talk about the Big Bang, these are his words, I'm paraphrasing, he said, when we talk about the Big Bang, he says, we're talking about a system where there's already energy existing and where the laws of physics are already in place. That's what he said. He said, but when we're, if we really want to talk genuinely about nothingness, we shouldn't be allowed to assume the presence of energy or the presence of the laws of physics. We should have to start with absolutely nothing, true nothing. And then he said, if you ask me now how that nothing became something, we don't know. <laughs> and so I, I believe in God. I definitely recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> We'll leave it at that for now. <laughs> now for some questions and answers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sure. Yeah. Um, just that I love what you said about uh, what Rosh Hashanah said to you that you don't need a reason to be happy. Yes. That's an incredible. That's an incredible. It's a big thought. And um, yeah, and and um, and I also feel and know that. We're, are we commanded to be happy in the Well, it says, it says in Tehillim, besimcha, serve God with simcha, with joy. So uh, that, that sounds like a command. But, uh, but is, is it uh, more emphasized during Adar? Is there something about... Yes, it says, it says in the Talmud, when the month of Adar comes in, that we're supposed to increase in joy. Yeah, and by the way, one of the classic teachings, beautiful teaching... I wish, I wish I knew who said it, because I quote it all the time. It says by the month of um, Av, that when Av comes in, that we're supposed to, that's of course the, the month of the tragedy, of the destruction of the bases of base Migdash, the first and second one, and all sorts of horrible tragedies over the course of Jewish history, that when that month of Av comes in, we're supposed to decrease in joy. And as someone very brilliant and wonderful pointed out, here you see something very interesting. In Adar, you increase in joy. In Av, you decrease in joy. But it's always about joy. Right? Because it could have said in Av, increase in sadness. But it doesn't say that. It says decrease in joy. So it's always about joy. You're either increasing in joy or decreasing in joy. But you have to stay in this place of joy. And again, how are we sort of like functionally translating joy as being mind expansiveness, right? In terms of like really being able to just see past the, um, the literal events right in front of our face and to just kind of see the big picture to the extent that we can. Yeah, so um, we talked about the half shekel, okay? Yeah. When we give the half shekel, yeah. prior to all the celebration, yeah. you know, prior to, reading, prior to reading the Megillah, I think, so you're half shekel, and you said that you, you know, you know, you have to have that half matched either by the community or Hashem is yeah, half. it's both. It's okay. both levels. Yeah. Well, when we talk about um, weddings and marriage, yeah, sure. We talk about you know pure joy. I mean, when you get married, you know, it's a it's a it's a time of joy. Yeah. If you look at the the brachot, the Sheva brachot, it, it talks all about joy. As you know, referring to the Gan Eden and and Avim yeah. Eim, and, and you know, it's it, it's all about joy. So yeah. that's the that's yeah. another parallel. Yes, and let me just just jump in on that because I heard Reb Shlomo say something very very interesting. Because when we're talking about the 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 uniting of souls under the the chuppah, right? Um, Reb Shlomo said one time that what people think is is that there's this, this joyous event and so people are coming sort of to be happy at this joyous event. He said really the cause and effect is, is the opposite. What's going on is that the joy of the people present is helping to fuse the two souls together. That's, that's of course they're one in heaven but then they come down in sort of separate entities here and they're reuniting and the joy of the attendees is helping to fuse those souls into one. 
Very, very fascinating uh, idea. Um, when you were talking about joy, I noticed you didn't mention the concept of gratitude. And for me, yeah, that's yeah. the easiest way to get to joy. Yeah, I've talked about that in the past. Yeah, but 100% gratitude is is a huge gift. If you can, if you want to put yourself in this place of joy, I, for me anyway, one of the best exercises, if you if you can do it, is just start thanking God. Just start saying, you know, thank you for this, thank you for that, thank you for this, thank you for, you know, that skin under my toenails is so sensitive. Can you imagine if you didn't have any toenails? <laughs> like, 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 your socks would rub against you in ten different places, like walking would be misery. Like, you can thank God, you can find things to thank, and after a while, you just blossom, and you're like, oh, I guess, I, I, I guess I have a lot. I guess I'm in a good place. I, I just wanted yeah. to ask another question. When you were talking about the concept of not being able to receive, Yes. I think that on human level sometimes, somebody doesn't want to receive a gift because they don't want to feel obligated to reciprocate. Yeah. Is that concept. Right. But I don't really understand how that works with our relationship with Hashem. Right. Well, I think that it's it's challenging because yeah, it's it's you're asking a very deep question because you see you know if I were to sort of paint a very large canvas here right now. <coughs> you know, America is one one of the things that America is built on is sort of like the um the myth almost of the individual, right? Um Davy Crockett, right? Um Manifest destiny, you know, just, just anyone can rise from poverty to become president. Like you have all these touchstones about, about how the individual can absolutely do anything. And um, there's such an emphasis on it. But if you really want to sort of pull the lens back, we're creations. We're creations. And we have, we have a creator. So ultimately, the idea that am I really the be-all and the end-all? Am I really the final authority? Not so much. Not so much. It takes a lot of humility. It takes a lot of humility for a person to recognize that. And you know what? If I'm not the be-all and end-all, if I'm not the final authority, doesn't it make sense that it could be that the one who created me want something from me? So if the one who created me and who sustains me and who sustains the world actually has a plan for me and wants certain things from me, then all of a sudden I am in a place of obligation. But that obligation is actually a very natural and harmonious and sensical place to be in. You know, I've told this story before, but it was really, it was such a big story for me in my life. Um, I, I was staying with my wife. Uh, we were in New York, and we were staying at, um, at this couple that she, she knew, and they were, you know, they were just a, a, a wealthy couple, and they were very, very generous, and they were putting us up, and they were like, look, just come and go as you like, and here's a key to the place. Just, you know, just come and go as you like, whatever it is. It's very, very nice. And then that Shabbos, they had a, a big Shabbos meal Friday night, and they had, they had a lot of people over, and just this long table filled with, like, crystal and silver. It was like, and every great food, and everyone was in a, you know, a great mood. But the, the host, whose, whose apartment it was, he who was sitting at the head of the table, was a very quiet guy. He didn't talk much at all. Just sitting at the head of the table, almost saying nothing. I was in an especially good mood, so I was telling stories and Torahs and jokes and this and that and everything like that. And really, people, you know, were happy and they were laughing and interested and talking and all the rest. So, so, and then, you know, at the sort of the culmination of the meal, I walk the guests to the door and I thank them for coming. <laughs> and the host is standing next to me. And I realize, like, what a chutzpah. I'm a guest in this person's home, and I'm acting like the host. What a chutzpah. 
And then I thought, and this like almost floored me, we're guests in this world. And we're acting like it's we're the host. Like 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 we made the world. You know, the the the, the, the base Yaakov, the second Ishvitzer Rebbe, says something phenomenally, phenomenally, phenomenally deep, which is that deep, deep down, every single person thinks they created themselves. And we, we know this isn't rational because we know we understand we have parents. We know it's not a rational thought. Yet somehow we're hardwired to actually think we created ourselves. So we start life with this, this very bizarre and perverse sense of authority, which is just it's not appropriate because it's not real. It's not real. And so the more we recognize what the actual structure of the universe is, if you will, the more we realize that, of course, I'm I'm a member of creation, and of course, I'm part of a plan, and of course, it makes sense for me to do certain activities. Of course. But but this this, this, this takes a lot of spiritual and emotional maturation and and a person has to kind of arrive at this place you can't you can't force someone into thinking this way this this a person has to do on their own i just wanted to thank you for the, the analogy the analogy of the flower the flower is so powerful yeah i never thought about it that way and, uh, yeah i would i would add uh, perhaps that uh, not only does she want us to put it in the face, she wants us to smell the flowers. Yes. She wants us to look at the flowers. Yes. She wants to watch the way the wind combs the flowers. Yes. You know? To live with them, to live, to yes. put them in a beautiful okay. place, and yes. to live with them so that we can be reminded of those okay. moments. And I thought one yeah. one perhaps additional tool we have to become aware of the of the beauty and power of the flowers is just the the breath, stopping yeah. to breathe for a moment. Breathe in that moment of just stopping and like letting everything go and just seeing what's in front of you is such a powerful tool. Yeah, to or or I just to say your thought, but just in the words of the talk that we just gave, to be able to receive each breath. Yes. Yes. Right, because then you can you don't have to wait for a parking space moment in your life where you're where you're you're in a crisis. You can you can sort of like arrive at this thought just through the act of breathing, and that that's that that's tremendous. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah, Gary. So just Gary, say it again. But Gary had a heart attack last week, and he's back with us, dancing and up on his own. What, what were you saying just now? No, I said when you're in the when you go through this operation, they put a little tube, and you can see where the tube opens up, and you see the blood go through. Say it again. Well, let's say your your artery's blocked, and and then they put this catheter in, and then they put a little stent, and then. You see the monitor, there's, it's black, but then all of a sudden you see the blood go through. Yeah. And you saw that? You saw the blood entering into your own heart? Wow. 